one. I think there's some still out there. This is the book we are continuing to work through, The Peacemaker. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a book all about conflict resolution, and we are finishing up chapter five, which dealt with the issue of conflict starting in the heart. Conflict starts in the heart. James 4, 1 says, from whence or from where do wars and, and quarrels come from? Do they not come from your lusts at war within you? And so, because conflict starts in the heart, we're not going to solve conflict by changing our location or our, our people around us or the, the place, you know, anything about the externals. If we're going to solve our conflict, we have to solve what begins internally. We have to solve our heart issue. And the heart issue we dealt with are what we call idols of our heart, the things that we're willing to sin in order to get or sin in order to avoid. So idols are often shown as something that is, it has, we talked about the progression of an idol. If you were here last week from I desire to I demand, right? And then it's, I think it's I judge and then something I punish. I can't remember all the exact layers, but it works its way through this progression from I want something to you better give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, I don't like what you're doing. And then now I'm going to judge you for not giving it to me. And this is where these kinds of uh, conflicts come from. So when we talked about overcoming idols, we spent a little bit of time there last week. This is kind of a run-up to this. If you look at your handout on that first side there, there are three ways that we are to three vehicles of God's grace for overcoming idols. The first one, Hebrews 4.12, is what? His Word or His Bible is what I put, His Bible. So the Word of God, His Word. The Word of God is, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Of the joints and marrow is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is God's gift to you to help you overcome your idols. The second one is, um, well, how the Bible not only reveals your idolatrous heart, remember that, it also gives you the answers how to solve that. So you have to get into the word of God. It'll show you how to properly worship God. Number two is his Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter two, Philippians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter two also deals with this. The Spirit does three things. The Spirit gives us understanding of the Scripture, right? He helps us understand the Scripture. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, without the Spirit, we cannot understand the mind of God. Who knows the mind of man except the mind that's in him, the Spirit of the man that's in him? So it is with the Spirit of God. We cannot understand God without the Spirit. Number two, He helps us by identifying our sin. That's conviction. This Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We ought to learn that is a good thing. That is not a bad thing. That means the Spirit is working in you. Some Christians don't like it when they're convicted of sin. We ought to embrace it and recognize God is working, and that's a good thing. Number three, give strength to pursue godliness uh, instead of sins. So this is uh, Romans chapter 8, the Spirit's work in our life to motivate us towards godliness. So that's the Spirit. Number three, uh, what's the third vehicle of God's grace? It's His church. It's His church. Romans 15, 14 uh, can someone turn there and read that verse? I love this verse because it really is applicable for how we do ministry here at Harvest. Romans fifteen fourteen. Yes, sir. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Okay, notice that last phrase. You are full of goodness. You're full of knowledge, and you're able to admonish one another. He's talking to the people in the church. 
it's not just the pastor's job to correct people, right? It is our job as believers that we can encourage, we can admonish, we can teach, we can help each other, we can counsel each other. That's what we do here in this church. You know, you should develop friendships with people in this church on Wednesday nights, on Sunday nights, the best time to do that, talking with people, uh, consulting with people, and, and getting that kind of help. And this is, this is really good good help for you, part of God's grace. Galatians 6.1 also is a familiar passage that if you see someone overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual should, res- should um, go to him and restore him with meekness, lest you also are tempted. Um, also, he gave some practical steps to identifying and overcoming idols. These are not like Bible uh, things. These are more practical things. I'm just going to walk through these quickly, not spend a ton of time here, and then we will uh, jump into really where we left off last week. He says, when you're in a conflict... Work backwards to identify the desires that are controlling you. And, and you can ask yourself, how am I punishing? How am I judging? What, what am I doing with my desires? What, work backwards. So what do I want that I'm not getting, or what am I getting that I don't want, is how I, I typically say it. Like, am I getting something that I don't want right now, or am I not getting something that I do want? Um, and, and that will help you identify the desires that are controlling you. Prayerfully ask yourself the x-ray questions, which I did not include on this sheet. They were on there last week. It's, it's just x-ray questions that kind of reveal what's going on in your heart. Um, as we keep going, you can keep track of your discoveries, identify patterns. So if you find that you're always irritated, a uh, teenager, you're always irritated when someone comes in your room and touches your stuff, you know, they shouldn't be allowed. Why were you angry? You know, if you, if you find yourself saying, stop touching my stuff, stop messing with my stuff, why are you in my room? Why are you touching my things? Uh, and that happens over and over again. Maybe you have a problem with your idolatry of self-control, of, of control, or of, of, of possessions, or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, maybe you need to start thinking about these patterns. And when you start seeing patterns in your life that have developed out of your observations, you can attack those specific heart issues as you see patterns develop. Pray God would remove the idol's influence in your life by making you miserable when you give into it. That was an interesting uh, uh, suggestion. I think it's a good one. You could say, Lord, please make me miserable if I give into this idol. If I give into the idol of gossip and, and, and approval, Lord, make me miserable. If I give into whatever idol it happens to be. Describe your idols to a spouse or accountability partner and ask them to approach you if and when they see it in your life. Okay, so if you if you are not sure, if you're blindsided all the time by these things, and you need to say, well, if you start to see me going down this path, can you throw a flag? Say, hey, look out, you're doing it again, okay? That takes some maturity, by the way. That's not something you can just do with anybody, and that's also something that the person you're talking to has to have tact and wisdom in how they do it, because it, it could end up becoming actually a, a, real, a real problem if that's something that happens all the time. He also mentions we need to realize idols might disguise themselves or change, um, one thing we talk about a lot at our church is this idea, the difference between uh, we call fruit issues and root issues, right? And where root issues are centered on the heart and come out of our thinking and our, our desires, right? So this is the inner man, inner person, and this is the heart, which the heart is, is concerned with both uh, wants or desires, and it's also concerned with thinking. So we talk about the inner person, the root issues, and the fruit issues are outward manifestations of the inward. So um, you might have mistakenly thought that a fruit issue was an idol. You might pick something that is uh, external, not realizing that there's a root issue that's actually causing the issue, right? 
And so be aware that as idols might shift, might shape shift a little bit, they might disguise themselves or uh, change a little bit, that the root issue often is the same if, if, you're, if you're focused up here. Um, so like, for example, if a, if a kid, if a teenager is experimenting with, um, with um, um, well, say he's watching bad movies at a friend's house, okay? He, he confesses to you, if your parent, your kid says, and you say, well, here's an idol in your life that you're just pursuing bad movies. You need to, you know, purify your heart from these, this desire to watch bad movies. Well, it might be that the, the, that the bad movies, that's just a fruit issue, right? And what he's really struggling with is the desire to be uh, accepted by his peers. So if you, if you squash the movie bug, you say you're not allowed to watch movies anymore, you're not allowed to look up movie reviews, you're not allowed to be doing that kind of stuff, well, he, he, then he's going to be smoking or drinking because that's what his friends do, and he wants to be accepted by them, so he might drink. And he's like, wait, I thought, wh- where did this come from? Well, it's the same issue. It's just a different way of expressing itself, right? So idols can sometimes shift. Uh, it appears to us they disguise themselves or change. Also, he says, ask spiritually mature uh, helpers to identify hard-to-see idols. This is one he says that if you, if you find yourself in constant conflict with people, and you're like, I just don't know what's going on. Like, why, why is it that every, every I, I really want to know, but I don't know. We do have blind spots, right? And so, it's helpful to go to someone and say, what do you see in me? that's causing this conflict. And then be ready, brace yourself for, for the answer, because it's probably something that you don't want to hear. Um, but if, if, you, if you do that, uh, if you have a spiritually mature helper, uh, that'll be good. And then ask God to replace your idols with a growing love for Him. Ask God to replace your idols with a growing love for Him. So, so it's an issue, idolatry, or the heart issue is a heart, it, it, it starts here, and it comes from, it's a worship thing. When you talk about idols, we're talking about what you worship, what you venerate, what you want to please, uh, what you're willing to sin to get or sin to keep. So how do you uh, replace idol worship with true worship? Here's some verses we need to look at. Uh, Psalm 51, 17, and 1 John 1, 8 through 10. Who can read, let's say, 1 John 1, 8 through 10? Who's got that? Start looking at verses because we're going to have to pop through these pretty quickly. Um, I need you to read out loud. Who's got 1 John 1? Somebody's got it. Somebody's got it memorized. I'm positive. They're just so, yes, go ahead, Tony. If we, have, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves in the truth about us. Okay, keep going. All the way through 10. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we become a liar and his word is not a Okay. How about Psalm 5170? Yes, sir. Levi. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not. Okay. Um, what is this first one? We must, to replace idol worship with true worship, we must first repent before God. We must repent before God. We, we have to be honest and deal with our sin. So if if you are if you have heart idols, you need to admit that they're heart idols. Lord, I have wanted approval more than I've loved you. Lord, I wanted comfort more than I wanted you. More, Lord, I wanted respect or whatever. You know, you have to repent of that and recognize that. And I love what, how Levi read that. He says, um, "The Lord loves a broken and contrite heart, coming to God with brokenness rather than coming to God with our fists right clenched." Proverbs 1-7. All right, we got Clayton. 
And then, um, uh, Kevin, can you read the next one, which is Matthew 10, 28? And then who wants Psalm 133 and 4? Okay, Matt. Okay, go ahead, Clayton. Okay, Kevin. Matt. That you may be feared. Okay, you got it, Kevin? I do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, do not fear people who can't do anything to you. Like, what are they really going to do? Uh, fear the one who, who has ultimate authority, the Lord. So fear is respect, it's honor, and it is reverential awe towards him. So fear the Lord, fear God, repent before God. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Okay, yes, sir. Miles. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So repent before the Lord, fear the Lord, and love the Lord. This is a process or steps towards proper worship, true worship, replacing false worship with true worship. Psalm 118.8. Yes, Kedron? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 37.5 and 6. Okay, Kelly? Okay, we are to repent, fear, love, and trust. Trust the Lord. Do you trust God? Okay, we're commanded to trust the Lord. And, and, and the more you, we did this formula earlier, with the more you know God, remember this? The more you know God, the easier it is to trust God. And once you trust Him, it's a whole lot easier to what? Obey God right? You can't obey God if you don't know God. I mean, you can, but it's much harder. As you know God, you will then learn to trust Him, and it'll be much easier to obey Him. So, so trust is a vital component uh, in this. And then we have this little song, right? Trust and obey. And it's just, it's, there's no other way, I think, right? All right, um, Psalm 30, okay, to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I got to finish it out. Okay, got it. Psalm 37, 4. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Jeff. Philippians 4, 4. Okay, Peter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Yes, Dottie. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Very good. Uh, he, he calls this, all of this, uh, delight in the Lord. Okay, what do you delight in? What makes you happy? What sparks your interest? I can tell uh, when I talk to people what they like. After you talk to them for a little bit, you know, you're talking about the weather, whatever, and then you talk about yeah, Tom's like, the weather, that's my favorite. <laughs> Everyone else is like, that's my starting place. Tom's like, that's where we're going. Like, we're going to talk about the weather. 
Um, and, uh, and then you land on something and their eyes light up, right? And it's like, oh, they like talking about that. That's interesting. And their eyes light up about it and they are just, they're all, they thought about it. They think about it. You know, they, they're, they're, they, they delight in that. And I wonder how many of us, when we talk about the Lord, our eyes light up. Like we are like, oh, I love talking about the Lord. I, I fear that a lot of us, if we talk about the Lord, it's like, oh, that was a, that was a kill joy. Like we were talking about football and you want to talk about God? Man, whew, that's heavy. You know, that, that's the wrong attitude. We ought to be people who delight in the Lord. I mean, this idea of delighting in Him and rejoicing in Him and having joy in Him and just being grateful for Him and having, uh, in fact, I, I want to commend you. Someone, some, I don't remember who this was. I wish I could remember. Jenna probably will remember. Somebody told us that they were talking to somebody, they were talking to people at church. They were newer, newer people. And they said, you know what's amazing to me is that the, the Lord just kind of weaves in and out of conversations. You remember this? You know what I'm talking that's what it was. It was a missions conference. Yeah. One of the missionaries told us, they said, you're the people here. We're just talking. And all of a sudden they start bringing up the Lord and we talk about the Lord. And then we start talking about something else. And like, it's we, and I was like, that's awesome. I'm so excited. That's great. That's a great testimony that the Lord is part of your thinking and part of your delighting. And as you're just talking about life, like the Lord comes out as, as your conversation. So this is how you, this is how you replace false idol worship with true worship of the Lord. Any comments or questions before we move on to the next section, which is on confession? Anything on, on we're just wrapping up last week's uh, stuff about idols of the heart. Anything else on this? Questions, comments? No? Okay, that's fine. All right, um, if you look at your sheet there, I put a verse at the top of chapter 6, uh, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, "He who covers his sin sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." We need to ask ourselves, what is God asking us to do with confession? What does confession accomplish, and what does it look like? Um, and he begins with, in fact, let me put it this way: we've all seen confession done poorly. Um, politicians are the worst at confessions, aren't they? Like they're pol- You've seen them on the news. I'm sorry if anyone was offended by my most recent comments comparing people to pigs <laughs> or something, whatever he says. And what he's saying, I'm sorry if you were offended. What's that? What is he saying? It's actually your problem, not my problem. I'm sorry that you're so dumb you didn't catch my nuance, right? I, that's a really offensive way to ask, like to give an apology. People do it though. Uh, and, and so we're going to talk. I have some. Um, in fact, why don't you do this? Turn your page over. There are some token, token statements that are not confession. We're going to look here. Uh, do you see those? You see them? Okay. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Okay. So this is. I am sorry if maybe you were hurt because obviously, like I actually should. What I did shouldn't have hurt you. And if it did hurt you that's kind of on you. Okay, if you use the word if, you're, you're, you're placing some unknown in there. You're saying, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Is real. It sounds okay to most people. Most people say, well, I would, I would say that that'd be good. No, no, no. What you're doing is you're then putting it on the other person saying that, you know, if, if you happen to be hurt, I'm, I feel bad about that. Uh, number two, let's just forget the past. There's no resolution there. It's just, let's just move on and not talk about it anymore. How about the third one? I suppose I could have done a better job. 
and there's no admission. It's like, well, me, I mean, I guess if you, if you put it that way, I guess I, and we'll, we'll talk about what makes a proper confession in a minute, but um, I guess it's not all your fault. <laughs> um, you think that's so magnanimous of you to take some responsibility, but you're actually just saying, well, majority of it's your fault. I guess I, I guess I didn't say, didn't do everything or didn't do, I did some, something wrong. I'm sorry you took it that way. That's kind of the, I'm sorry you were offended by what I said. It's basically blaming them for what you said. Uh, I have another one here, which is, I'm sorry for everything. What's wrong with that? I've heard that. I've heard this before. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So if, if, if there is a, um, well, let's think about this. Um, if, there is a, if there is a wrong that's been done, Especially if it's a little bit like, if it's something that is, you know, we're not sure that it's, everything's been discovered yet, or like all the wrongs have actually been brought in the open. You know what I'm saying? So if there's some sort of like uncertainty here, and so the person who's the sinner says, oh, look, please forgive me for everything. I'm sorry for everything. What they're doing is, is they're saying, I don't want to get into details. I don't want to get into details. You just need to give me a clean, uh, a blank slate right now. And, and, and that's a warning. If anybody ever says that to you, say, no, 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 wait, hold on, hold on. Well, that, that's, that you, you need to talk through that because when you, if you're just saying, I'm sorry for everything, that's actually, if, you're, if you find yourself saying that, you need to ask yourself, what am I covering? Okay, because you're using very, very um, cloudy language that doesn't actually deal with specific sin. So, um, let's go back to the front, front of the page now that we have our, uh, our, what we shouldn't be doing. We see here that the gospel, the gospel drives reconciliation. Why can we be reconciled? Well, the gospel message, the beautiful thing about the gospel and the good news of Christ that John 3.16 um, reveals two things. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel encapsulated in John 3.16 reveals both our radical sinfulness, okay, you are so sinful that Jesus came to die for your sin. Okay, that is, wasn't like, it, it, it's a big deal. Uh, your sin is a big deal. And if we just pretend like sin's no big deal, or we say, ah, sin's not a problem, it's a mistake, you downplay it, you talk about it like you would talk about a spe- I, I say it often like this, mistakes are spelling errors, sins or sins, right? If you, if you misspell a word, that's a mistake, you know? And, and, and sometimes people, like, wreck their car, and it's a mistake, but sometimes they wreck their car, and it's a sin, <laughs> you know? It's, it, you know, people make mistakes. Yes, people make mistakes all the time. I'm not trying to say everything's a sin. Sometimes there are mistakes, but our sinfulness is great, so let's not make our sin like it's just a mistake, okay? Some people use words like fault. Well, I fell into sin. Sometimes you jump into sin. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, oops, I fell into adultery. You don't just fall into adultery. There's like, a, there's like a lot of processes that lead you to sin, right? So anyway, uh, it starts in the heart, right? It starts in the heart, and then it works itself out. So um, it shows our radical sinfulness and the radical mercy of God. See, this is the amazing thing, is that what the gospel shows is that we're all sinners, but God's mercy is greater than our sin. Right? He died for our sin. So when we do this, when we recognize the gospel-centeredness of our reconciliation, 
uh, Sandy says two things happen. Number one, pride and defensiveness are stripped away. So this is important. Pride and defense, defensiveness are stripped away. Pride and defense. And now talk to me about why this is the case. Talk to me. Why is it important? Why, when we understand the gospel, are our pride and defensiveness gone? You have to be humble to be saved, right? You have to say, I'm a sinner. Um, if, if, you are, if your salvation is based on how good you are, every time you admit you're not good, it feels like you're knocked down a peg. But the gospel tells us the only way you get to heaven is by admitting your radical sinfulness and receiving the grace that's given to you by God. So everyone's starting at the same place. We're all sinners. We all, we don't need to, why why defend yourself? Yeah, because it's what everybody says. Stand up for yourself, son. You know, like, you know, defend yourself. Well, why do people automatically feel they need to defend themselves is because they feel like they don't want to be humbled. They don't want to be uh, wrong, you know. And so, self-centeredness, self-righteousness goes away. We can find admit, uh, freedom through admitting uh, wrong. Uh, he says, do everything we can to repair. Uh, two things happen. First, the pride and defensiveness is gone, um, and we can do everything we can to repair that we, the, I'm sorry, repair the harm we have caused and be reconciled. We can, we can, because God reconciled us to Him, and He showed mercy, we also can do the same thing. We, we see God as our example, and we want to be reconciled. So it's very important that we that that the gospel is where it starts. Uh, if you turn the page over, on page one eighteen of the book, he mentions there are four things where the restoration process involves four things, um, and I think this is over a couple pages here. No, it's just on this one page, page one eighteen. He says it involves four things: first, repentance, which we've already dealt with a little bit here, but I'm going to list them here: repentance. Uh, number two is self-examination. Number three is confession. And number four is personal change. Okay. So the restoration process, we talk about restoration of a, of a relationship um, this is all required for restoration to truly take place. And the problem is a lot of time when people want to be restored in their relationships and there's conflict, they basically don't want to do any of these things. What they want to do is they want to say, I'm sorry, and let's move on. But when you say, I'm sorry, that's just expressing how you feel about something, Right? And I, I, I do it with a little bit of humor. It doesn't always come over well. But this is how I, how I try to explain the difference between I'm sorry and, I, and I, I apologize. They're two totally different things. If you're at a funeral and you're going through the receiving line and you say I'm sorry, that's completely appropriate. If you're going at a funeral and you're going through the receiving line and you say I apologize, it means something completely different. Right? It means you're responsible for the person being dead. In case you didn't catch that. So there's a huge difference, and we know that. So we try to avoid responsibility. We say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. 
Yeah, okay, you feel bad about it. But what does that mean? That doesn't mean that any restoration has taken place. And often the person who has done the sinning will say, I'm sorry. The person who has been sinned against doesn't understand this and is trying to figure out why they don't feel restored. And the person who has just said they're sorry is like, well, it's your fault that you don't want to get back with me and be nice to me because I've already said I'm sorry and, you're not, and now you're holding out and not being nice to me. And there, yet there's been no restoration process. You see what I'm saying? You see the problem that that presents? Whereas the person who has sinned is just kind of not taking ownership, and the person who sinned against sometimes wants to be reconciled, but they don't know how to walk through that process because they just, they feel in their heart this hasn't been reconciled because none of this has been done. So um, he gives several elements of repentance. The first process here, the first one, repentance, he says, according to 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, repentance is a gift from God. It's a fascinating little passage. He says, if perhaps God will grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. Repentance means to change the way we think. Repentance is not just something that is external. It's internal. It has to happen at the heart level. Remember, the heart involves wants and thinking. And the word repent is meta-naeo, which means change of mind, literally. So to change your mind or to change in thinking is the, is the etymology of this word, and it means more than that, but that's the basic root meaning of this, and so it means to change the way you think. And in Luke 15, can somebody read Luke 15, 17 for me? Uh, this is the story of the prodigal son, and we have this verse show up, Luke 15, 17. Somebody got it? Yes, sir. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Okay, so the, the prodigal son who's away in a foreign country, away in a far-off country, right, or the next city over, whatever, he is, finds himself eating pig slop, and it says he comes to his senses. The Bible uses that terminology sometimes to talk about repentance. Come to your senses. Notice the senses has the idea of thinking. You change your thinking. He re- and what is his, what is his uh, decision on this? He's like, Mike... My father has servants who are eating better than this. And then he makes a decision, I will rise and go to my father. And, and, and um, so there's a, there's a coming to our senses. That's your blank there. Come to your senses. For just a moment, I want to... Uh, yeah, let's talk about remorse and repentance. Um, all right, let me stop for a minute. Any questions so far? We don't regret a soft. We could we could stop a little bit early if we needed to, but I, I yeah, Jenna. As you, I'm always thinking through the parenting lens because that's our yeah. age. But I think this is something that we should be teaching our kids when they disobey or they sin. It's not just that they receive punishment and then the matter is settled. I think we need to even parent for them what they're supposed to say because I think they sense that there is unreconciliation. And I think sometimes that's part of the problem is they don't, we have to teach them how to reconcile with us or with a sibling. Yeah. We can't assume they know that, that just saying I'm sorry and hugging makes it go away or just getting a discipline and then waiting for their mood to change. And so I think, right. I think it's so important to walk through with our kids, you know, to say the words that they, you know, are taking responsibility if there's discipline involved. 
and then that whole reconciliation process, even when they don't understand it. Yeah. That's really good. Jenna's saying that we need to help our kids walk through this process too, because they recognize, they sense the, once they've disobeyed mom or dad, they've sensed the, the problem that caused, right? And a broken relationship and they need, they feel the need to restore. I, in fact, I've given, uh, working with a couple here not too long ago, we were talking about this and the idea of that's why it's important. I believe it's important to deal with discipline quickly and not let it drag on for a long period of time because a whole time is dragging on. The child is feeling the um, stress, stress on the relationship, the strain, the, 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 the um, estrangement, the distance, and they need to be reconciled quickly. Um, it's also important to notice that repentance is not just feeling bad about something. It's not just like, oh, I feel terrible. Yeah, you feel terrible, but that's not repentance. What, what do you feel? Why do you feel terrible? Do you feel terrible because you were caught? And that's what godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow is all about. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It, well, maybe next time. But this idea that, that sorrow is not the same as repentance. Weeping and wailing, you know, you can be very emotional and you can have false repentance. Or you can have no emotions and have true repentance. Like emotions do not equal repentance. It has to, like, are you willing to change your mind and change your heart to be in accordance with God? Or are you so stubborn that you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do things my way. Or I'm sad that I was caught. Now I just can't get caught again. Right? I've got to redouble my efforts to avoid being captured by, or whatever, being caught again. Now, you know, no, it's, it, is this a change in your thinking? Are you willing to submit your thinking to God's way? Of thinking. Uh, the other thing is, is this, it's not just apologizing. As we said earlier, repentance is not just apologizing. Apologizing is simply saying how you feel about something. That's not a change of thinking. You know, you can hurt somebody and you say, I'm really sorry that I hurt you. That is not an apology. Uh, it is an apology. Sorry. It's not confession. And, and we'll talk about the seven A's of confession. If you want to know what they are, you have to buy the book and read it ahead of me because I, can't, I don't have time to talk through them all tonight. But it involves taking personal responsibility and owning it and not just trying to cover it or saying you feel bad that it happened. And I think this is something we all need to practice on a regular, you know, practice on a semi-regular basis. I think that we ought to be not only apologizing, but asking each other to forgive us, forgive each other on a semi-regular, as, as you sin against each other, you should ask each other to forgive. That means parents, if you sin against your kids, I've had to do that with my kids to say, would you forgive me? And that's kind of humbling when they're like three and they're looking at you, <laughs> you're looking at you like a three-year-old, you know, and they don't know what to do, and you're like, I sinned against you, would you please forgive me? And they're like, you, say, you can say yes, yes, okay, good, you give, you know, but you're modeling that, right? You're saying this is what it's like. You, you apologize, I'm sorry, but you also say, I was wrong, would you forgive me? I sinned by blank, you know. So, so this is very important, this is really, really vital. I think a lot of people don't do this, we feel weird doing this, um, but the Bible talks about doing works in keeping with repentance. And so if you repent, you repent is, is mostly associated with the mind, we should have actions that follow that repentant thinking. You should change your thinking. That is so key. It's not just about feelings. It's about what you believe, what you, what you want. Other comments or questions as we close? Yeah, Eric. I think that pride thing is, is so huge if you're talking about relationships say I'm sorry and I'm wrong 
puts me on a level of the other peons around me. Right. Or below them. Or below them, yeah. And that's really tough. Because there's so many, I mean, you know, there's a lot of kids in here, you know, like, they're so dumb, but <laughs> no, I am. Right. You know, I am there. I have so many problems. I think some people are afraid, I think dads sometimes are afraid to do this because they feel like it will undermine their authority in the house. They're like, if I have to ask forgiveness, then I am lowering myself. I don't think that's true at all. I think by modeling Christ-like behavior in the home, you are leading your family. And, and you know, Christ says, do not lead as the world, as the Gentiles lord authority over people, Right? The Gentiles, they see power as a dynamic that has to be upheld. Where Christ, we are, Christ says, I'm among them as one who serves. So, um, anyway, we must, we must model proper, proper confession. And we'll, well, again, we'll get into all, how all that looks in two weeks. Next week, uh, there's no Wednesday night meeting. Um, I hope you have a great Christmas. I look forward to seeing you Sunday. Wonderful Christmas service plan. Really excited about that continue our Christmas series, and then Sunday night, our Christmas Eve service, 5 o'clock here in the building, and uh, we'd love to have you here. It's a wonderful tradition. It's a, it's a beautiful little service. We sing Silent Night as we walk out holding candles. It's great. Uh, something we've been doing for years and years, and uh, like I say every year, we use real fire. We're not one of those compromised churches that uses, uh, you know, battery-powered stuff. No, no, no. Um, so, uh, parents, sit with your children. <laughs> Make sure you don't have to ask forgiveness from each other after the after the night's over. All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you and thank you for the, uh, the way you give us instruction in your word, how we ought to have relationships that are um, uh, whole because of, of our sin. Often we, we create division, we cause problems. And so, Father, I pray that we would uh, follow these principles in your word to truly uh, seek to be right with each other and to uh, confess sin and to erase the idols from our hearts so we can pursue you with our whole